John chapter 15, verse number 1 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, and whatsoever you shall ask of my Father, in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. And the person who abides in Christ, and Christ in him will bring forth fruit. But we can't do that on our own. Jesus tells us that in verse number 5. The only way that you can produce fruit is if you are in Christ. So, the flip side of that is, we who are in Christ will produce fruit. So no Christ, no fruit, and no fruit, no Christ. And the Father is glorified by the fruit bearing of his people. And as the Father loved Christ, so he loves us. And Jesus calls us to continue in that love. And to do so by keeping the commandments. And Jesus shows us that he kept the commandments and abode in the Father's love, and, and so he calls us to do likewise. But why did Jesus tell us these things? Why did Jesus tell us the disciples these things? Well, we know it wasn't to terrify them because he was comforting them. In chapter 14, in verse number 1, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Then down in verse number 16, he said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. And then verse 11, or verse 18 rather, of chapter 14. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So Jesus didn't tell the disciples to, to terrify them um, that they weren't producing enough food, fruit and maybe they weren't abiding in the Father or to, to, to put such a, a burden upon them that they, they are despondent. No, he says, let not your heart be troubled. He's comforting them. 
because he's about to depart. These are sort of his departing words, in a sense, before the crucifixion. And he wasn't telling them these things to cause them to doubt. But the opposite is true. He tells them these things so they would not doubt. Verse 29 of chapter 14. And now I have told you before it come to pass, and when it has come to pass, ye might believe. And then in chapter 16 and verse number 1. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. Or, in other words, made to stumble and trip and fall and fall away. So he wasn't telling the disciples to look inward and doubt your salvation. And he wasn't telling this to cause them to tremble. Now there are passages in which I read this morning that there are distinctions made between the true and the false convert. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. Those who bear fruit and those who don't. And so Jesus shows us what a believer looks like. And so yes, if you have no fruit, Jesus says there is no life. And if that applies, then you have no cause for assurance. But Jesus tells his disciples twice that he has cleansed them. And then later on he's going to pray for them. And he tells them over and over and over uh, of their position that they have in Christ. So when Jesus is talking here to his disciples, he has something else in view than to weed out false converts. Not to trouble them, but that they would not be troubled. Not to cause them to doubt, but that they would believe. And so, yes, we can, we can look at the flip side of that, and that is a proper application um, to, to think about that. But what was Jesus telling his disciples here? He was preaching to his disciples to give them assurance, to give them comfort, to give them hope, not to doubt, but to look to him by faith. And so what I want to do uh, this morning is show you who are in Christ, the disciples of Jesus, the blessings that come from abiding in Christ. This is a chapter full of blessings. Though oftentimes we could, we could want to make it a, a, a chapter just because it says keeping the commandments and therefore make it a chapter of law and therefore doubt and, and unassurance. It's actually a chapter of great joy and comfort. And so there are um, at least five things that I see here in the latter part, starting in verse number 11, that point to the blessings that arrive from abiding in Christ. There is the blessing of joy, the blessing of love, the blessing of friendship, the blessing of assurance, and the blessing of fellowship. These things, starting in verse number 11 through verse 17, are all the results of abiding in Christ. And so if we abide in Christ, these are the things that we're going to have. Joy, love, Friendship, assurance, and fellowship. Look in verse number 11. Why did Jesus tell the disciples these things? Sometimes uh, somebody might tell you something, and then you walk away and say, I wonder why they told me that. You know, they, 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 they might say, well, you look nice today. And you say, thanks. And you walk away and say, I wonder what they meant. Did they mean that I don't normally look nice? <laughs> Or is this today's an exception? Um, or were they just confident? You know, you might not know what they mean by that. Well, we don't have to wonder, because Jesus says, here's all the things I tell you, and this is why I'm telling you. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Jesus is telling them these things, that they might have joy. 
So a joy is a, a result, is a blessing of abiding in Christ. There are many, um, not, I don't want to say legalist preaching and legalist uh, doctrines, but just have that legal hint to them that there's no joy. And if there is joy, it's you better have joy. <laughs> it's, it's you, you better, that's the law. You have to have joy, and otherwise, um, you know, bad things will happen. Well, yes, we ought to have joy. And yes, Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord in all things. But this is a result of abiding in Christ. That Jesus tells us these things, that we might know these things, and, and by knowing these things and recognizing these truths, the, the joy of Christ would remain in us, and our joy in Christ would be full. Now, joy isn't happiness in the things of the world. The disciples were about to go through a terrible, terrible time. In just a few short hours, Peter is going to deny the Lord Jesus and curse and, and uh, curse him. They, he never knew him. Judas will be discovered as the betrayer and go and hang himself. Jesus Christ will be beaten and bloodied and mocked and ridiculed and crucified and die and be laid in the tomb. They'll be scattered. They'll be in, in darkness and, and, and a time, a terrible time. So what's Jesus tell them? I tell you these things that you might have joy. After Jesus ascends, almost immediately the, the apostles are persecuted. The churches are scattered. The church is scattered. Most of these men, there's 11 men there, and um, as far as we know, all but John was martyred. They, were, they lost their possessions. They lost. They were kicked out of the synagogue. They were. They were. Um, forced to, to move, scattered abroad, the rest of their life hounded and hunted. And Jesus tells them these things that their joy might be full. Their happiness was not going to be found in the things of this world. They were going to lose physical comforts. They were going to lose financial comforts. They were going to lose uh, family relations. They were going to lose their, their citizenship in the sense that, that they would have to flee from their homes through persecution. The people that they once fellowshiped with as far as in the synagogue and in the temple and so forth, they are now their enemies, persecuted. So the joy that, that Jesus is talking about is separate from the things of this world. Jesus said, he tells us those things, that the, the joy would remain in you. Or that the joy would abide in them. So that joy would, would find a home in their heart. As they would abide in Christ, and the Christ would abide in them, so would that joy. This joy would abide with them. So that tells us it's not a fleeting joy. If, if that joy will remain in you, it doesn't go up and down, dependent upon um, the, the circumstances. It's not a fleeting joy. You ever had, you know, a time you might go on a, you know, you and your spouse might go on a, a nice time and 
Uh, you, you just wish the day would never end. Or, or you might go and do something fun and, and you're having such a great time. But sooner or later, it's going to come to an end. Sooner or later, that day's going to end. That time's going to end. And you might go back just to life as normal. There's joy. I'm not going to say that there's not joy, but it, it, it comes and it goes. Joy is sweet in the things that we enjoy, then it ends. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. This is an abiding joy. A joy that, that remains. A, a joy that lives within us. A joy that you can have in the darkest of times. That's how Paul could say that he rejoiced in the Lord while he was imprisoned. That he could be arrested, imprisoned, and thinking that he's probably going to be executed and write to the church at Philippians that he rejoices in the Lord. This is an abiding joy that never passes away because it's not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on our health. It's not dependent upon who the president is. It's not dependent on how much gas costs. This is a joy that is separate from circumstances. It's a joy that abides, and it's a joy that endures. Because this joy comes in from, from Christ. And it remains because this joy that, that the Lord gives us is, is with us despite the circumstances. This is a joy that never fails. If it abides, it, it never leaves and it also never fails. You might do things with the hope of bringing joy, but it backfires. Maybe you say, well, we're going to go, um, we're going to go out to eat. We're going we're to have a great time. And you plan, you plan, you plan, you go out to eat and you get food poisoning. <laughs> what was supposed to bring you joy backfires and it brings much pain and sorrow. Um, you could buy a new car and you say, this new car is going to bring me joy and then uh, it breaks down. And so it immediately goes from, from, from great joy to great, to great sorrow. Well, this is a, a joy that never fails. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't end, and it doesn't fail. It doesn't backfire on us. This is a joy that is full. He, he tells us these things that this joy would remain, that it would abide in us, and that it would be full. So when the disciples are being persecuted, they could have joy in this kind of joy. And then whenever they were, had lost their home, where John is riding on the Isle of Patmos, that his joy might be full. So this means that it's not that life isn't hard and it's not that life isn't sad or that we don't worry about things, our kids are anxious about troubles. It, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that the life just becomes all, all roses and, and, and rainbows and everything is happy and, and light and we just whistle through this world because there's no trouble. It doesn't mean that death and sickness don't knock at our door. But this is a different kind of joy that, that the world doesn't have because they don't abide in Christ. Because Christ isn't in them. This is a joy of, centered in Christ. It's a joy that outweighs the sorrows because it stays with us. It's a joy in the mercy of Christ that no matter what happens, Jesus will never leave us. It's a mercy in abiding in his grace 
that though we fail Him, and though we have sinned, and though we have um, failed, that He is gracious to us. And though the problems that we have might be the result of our own doing, He forgives us, and He doesn't abandon us. And we have His salvation, and we can rejoice in His salvation, that we are, we are His, and we are saved. We, are, we have His righteousness. We have eternal life that he will bless us and be with us. And, and this world is falling apart, but we have the hope of everlasting life, that, that things might be crumbling all about us, but we have a home in heaven, that we have a place that he's preparing for us in the Father's house. This is the hope and joy and comfort that can sustain us in life and in death. This is a joy that... that cannot be taken away from us because it is given to us by Christ and in Christ and we have life in Him and therefore we have this abiding, never-ending, never-failing joy. And so, if we don't have joy, then what, what is the problem? Then well, we forgot the source of our joy. We, we're not looking to Jesus. We're forgetting what Jesus told us. These things have I spoken to you that your joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And so whenever the disciples are scattered and, and Jesus is crucified and they're confused and they, they don't know what to do and they're on the road to Emmaus even when after the resurrection that, that Jesus talks to the disciples and they were despondent. Why? Because they'd forgotten the things that he spoke to them. But whenever they understood that he had risen from the dead and they, and they knew that it was him who they loved that they saw and they they um, fellowshiped with, well, their joy was full. The disciples, after the, the crucifixion, and, and you know, Peter doesn't even seem, Peter seems like a different kind of person in the book of Acts, when he was full of the Spirit of God and full of the joy of the Lord, as he joyfully suffered for, for Christ's sake. His joy remained full because his hope was centered in Christ. So joy is a, a blessing of abiding in Christ. Love is a blessing of abiding in Christ. Verse number 12, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So you might read that and say, as I have loved you, and stop right there and say, oh no, I can't do that. I can never do that. Well, don't forget about verse number 5, where Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. So yes, that, that is somewhat true. You could never love Jesus as he has loved you. But also don't forget verse number 11, these things have I spoken to you, that your joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And he follows up, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus says this, for our good and for our joy. John Owen said that love is a fruit of the Spirit of God. It's an effect of faith, whereby believers knit together by the strongest bonds of affection upon the account of their interest in Christ, participating in the one Spirit, delight in, value, and esteem one another, and are in constant readiness 
for all the regular duties whereby the temporal, spiritual, and eternal good of one another may be promoted. That was a long definition of what love is, and, but it was a good one. He, he hits the nail on the head as to what this kind of love is that Jesus is talking about. So, we, we cannot love into the degree and the capacity which Jesus loved us. But we can follow suit in, in the way that he loves us and the, the, the tenor and the tone in which he loves us, which I believe is what he's talking about. Not you love with the degree of love and the, the, the breadth and the depth and the height of that love. We don't have that within us to love as God exactly in the same breadth and depth and height and power of love that he loved us, but we can love in the manner in which he loved us, which is what I believe he's telling us, that we love in that same manner. So let's think about what that is. Love is a, a fruit of the Spirit. So love is a result of our faith in Christ, that, that because we are in Christ, because we abide in him, then that love, that fruit, uh, is, is in us. And it will come forth from us because of what Christ has done in us. And we love one another on account of our mutual interest, being in Christ. So I am saved in Christ, and you are saved in Christ, and we have that mutual interest, that mutual love of, of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. And we are united to Christ together. And we're also united in the Spirit that we all have one spirit, we're all indwelt by that same blessed Holy Spirit. That same spirit that works in me works in you. That same spirit that works love in us works love in you. And so based on these graces, and based on what God has done for us, and based on what God is doing in us, we will look at one another and value one another as Christ's dear ones as Christ's beloved, as Christ's bride to whom he, he loves, as Christ gave himself for. And so we no longer just see one another, just, uh, just different people, but we see us as the elect of God, the loved of God, the esteemed of Christ. And so we value one another of who we are in Christ, and we esteem one another as brothers and sisters, as saints of God, as adopted into the family of God, as Christ's dear ones, as Christ's friend. And so we, we see each other with, with this value and, and esteem one another for who we are in Christ. And this love is ready to do good for one another, temporally or spiritually or however we can. This is the love that we have for one another. And what a blessing this is that God gives us in, in abiding in him. That he gives us this love that, that we can love one another. Think of Paul's example here uh, of his love for the, the saints. In Colossians chapter number 1, verse 24, I think it's interesting as we consider this, how Paul loved and what Paul loved. So it says in verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. So Paul is rejoicing. His joy is full. Even in sufferings. 
How can Paul rejoice in sufferings? Well, who is he suffering for? Himself? No. He says, my sufferings for you. Sufferings for the, the church. And fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. He says, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which had been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereinto I also labor, striving to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So, God was working in him mightily to preach the gospel. But why did he suffer? Certainly for the glory of Christ. But he says it was not a selfish service, but a work for the good of the brethren. Paul rejoiced in his sufferings for the church, for the sake of the body. Yes, Paul loved Christ, but he loved the church. He loved these individuals. And he suffered for their good. Paul suffered not just so he could keep his ministry going and not that he could keep his name out there and that he could be famous and, and things such as that. He was laying down his life for the brethren. It's like the one man says, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor needs our good works. God didn't need Paul. God could have had a, a donkey come along and preach the gospel if he wanted to. He didn't need Paul. But who needed Paul? The saints needed Paul. They needed the word of God. And so Paul, in his love for God, serving the Lord God, gave and poured his life out for his brothers and sisters because he loved the body. He would suffer for the saints. He would, he would go hungry for the saints. He would be poor for the saints. He would, he would go to jail for the saints because he loved them. And so that is the outworking and the joy of the Spirit of God and abiding in Christ is loving God's people. So where do we love God's people? In the church. Jesus said, keep my commandments that your joy may be full. So he says, what I want you to do, you're my disciples, and I want you to keep my commandments. And my commandment is to love one another. What I want you to do is to go in love as I have loved. And so the Lord, in his kindness, says, okay, now I'm going to give you a place to go and keep my commandments. Not the big universal invisible church. It's easy to say you love the church when the church is nothing but a concept or an institution. I read B.H. Carroll said that you know, people talk about they love the church when they talk about the big, universal, invisible church. And, and what is there in that kind of love? Well, th there's no people there. There's no person there. It's just an idea. It's a concept. Well, how can you love a concept and show 
I mean, you can, but how can you show the love that God has called us to, to a concept? You know, some people will love the institution of the church, and they, they love the doctrines of the church, and they love the ordinances of the church, and they talk about the church, and preach about the church, and fight about it. But where's the love for the actual people? You know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with loving the Lord's institution and, and preaching about the ordinances and loving those things. That's not, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but what I'm saying is the same people can love the institution, but then hate the people that, that are there among them. Or run people off in order to keep, keep control of the body, like Diotrephes in, in, in one of John's letters. Loved the idea and the concept, but didn't like the people, didn't like, uh, like John. No, the Lord says, I want you to obey my commandments to love one another. And I'm, I, I built a church, a place, a society in which you can live and obey my commandments. So being in the church, we are to love one another. And that's the way God has given us to obey this commandment. Not to have big ideas about people that you don't know, but to love the people you were here with and to serve the people we're here with, and, and to love the, the community of the saints, this body, this local body that we, we, we gather with regularly, and to help and to pray for and to, to, to love. For the, who, the whole body, it says in Ephesians 4, 6, fitly joined together and compacted, by which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working the measure of every part, making the increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. So we are to love one another by building each other up, supplying, every joint supplying, working effectually to the increase of every part, that the body would, would edify itself in love. So we abide in the love of Christ, and this love of Christ this blessing that Christ has bestowed upon us um, by abiding works itself out in loving one another. So we abide in the Lord because the Lord has loved us. Now Jesus says, now you love one another like I loved you. You show your gratitude for what I have done for you by doing for other people. You, you show me how you love me by loving the people that I died for. By praying and giving and ministering to and helping and encouraging and even rebuking and, and warning. That's what Paul did. Telling every man, warning every man. Why? Because he loved them. He wanted their greatest good. This is a, this is a love that is far superior than the love of the world. This is a love like Christ loved us. So what kind of love is that? Well, he tells us in verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. This is the love that Jesus loved us with, and the love that we are to love one another with. This greatest love. Now, it, this love that Jesus loved us with, you know, we can't replicate this. In fact, we probably can't even fully, ever fully comprehend this kind of love that Jesus loves us with, even all eternity. 
You know, a man may lay down his life for his friend. Um, a soldier might lay down his life for his country. A police officer might lay down his life to protect others. But greater love has no man than the love that Jesus has for us. Because there was nothing in us to love. A soldier will lay down his life for his country because he loves his country. He values his country. Or a police officer lays down his life to protect the innocent or protect um, his fellow citizens. Christ laid down his life for his enemies. There was nothing in me to love. There was nothing that I could add to God. God didn't need me, and I can't add to anything that God has. But Christ, who is rich in grace and mercy, came and laid down his life for his enemies. Laid down his life for a sinner. One who would not care anything about him, mock him, despise him, act against him, want other people to act against him. And he comes in unconditional love. A love without any conditions. Because if there were conditions, there's nothing we could do to, to earn that love. There could be no condition on which we could earn the love of God, but, but God loves us for his own good purpose. This is greatest love that Jesus Christ laid down his life, not for what he could get from us, but because he loved us. He chose freely to love us. Not because we were already on his side and we had a common interest in, in common things. That's why, that's why people love one another now. It's because you have an interest in common things. That's one reason. But this greatest love was unconditional. That he loved us being his enemy. It was a sacrificial love. It was a love for the good of others. Christ became our sin bearer and died for us. Christ became our substitute and took away our sins. He suffered and gave his life that we might live. He came into this wicked world and humbled himself that, that we might go and be where he is. He left the Father's house that we might live in the Father's house. He came and suffered that we might and died that we might have everlasting life. This was he did this out of love for us. It's a sacrificial love. So we're to love one another in a sacrificial way, that we are to, to give ourselves for the brethren, for one another. And not to look and say, well, I don't get, I hadn't got much out of the, the church service. Or, or, but you come and say, I come to worship with my with my brothers and sisters. I come to love them and, and to worship with them and to give. Right? That, that's part of the, the, the blessing of gathering together is we gather together. And it's an act of love just to gather together with one another and to worship and, and to sing and to help one another sing and to sing together. That's an act of love. It's a, it's a sacrificial love. It's an enduring love. Remember, 
This all started in chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, he should depart out of this world and unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He loved them to the end. It was an enduring love. It was an enduring love. You, you know, you might start out, um, you might start out a, a football season. Say, boy, I love my, I love my team. And you wear the shirt and you wear the hat. I love this team. Uh, I love the coaches. I love the pl- the players. I just love this team. And you get halfway through the season and they haven't won a game. I hate this team. I hate watching them. I can't stand it. Um, that I never, I quit. I'm never watching them again. A- every year. Right? So that's not an enduring love, is it? That, that's a love that I love them as long as they're doing what I want them to do. But once they stop, then, then it's gone. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't love us like that? That we love them as long as, or he would love us as long as we're doing what he says. No, he says, I love them to the end. When Peter denies Jesus, Jesus still loves Peter. I think one of the reasons why it killed Peter when Jesus turned around and looked at him, because he loved him to the end. Despite what Peter just did, he still loved him. An enduring love that doesn't fail, that doesn't break away. So that's, that's how the Lord wants us to love one another. And so, so you say, well, how is that a blessing? Well, here's the blessing. That you and I can come and gather together and know that Jesus loves us and he's going to love us to the end. That he gave himself for us, he blesses us. But we can also come to our brothers and sisters and know that there's an enduring love here that we should be able to say to one another, we will love until the end. I think one of the most blessed things about whenever one has been disciplined by the church and they come back, and the church gladly and joyfully receives them, because we never stop, we never stop loving them, do we? We never stop praying and desiring them for them to come back. We, we have an enduring love, a prayerful love. And that, that we can come here and you can know uh, that your brothers and sisters will be here for you and, and to love one another and to give yourself for one another and that we would do things for one another. This is the blessing of the fellowship of the saints and, and the love of abiding in Christ. We have a deeper connection one to another because it's all centered in Christ. Isn't that a joyful thing that God has given us this morning? That his command to love. Now, now remember, if you look at it from one perspective, like a lot of people will do, and say, well, this is a command. You have to love. You have to have joy. Well, yes, it is a command, but what's he commanding us to do? To be joyful because you have a reason for joy. To love one another because you have been loved. And we, we experience, it's a reciprocal that we love and we're loved back. What a blessing. A blessing of abiding in Christ. Well, let's let's uh, we'll we'll stop. We'll pick up here in just a little bit. But this is I think this would be a good place to stop for us this morning. And so um, let's let's have a word, dismiss a word of prayer.
And um, I'll ask Elijah if you would to dismiss in prayer.